For all you people out there that are planning big crimes, don't go keeping the gun right under your pillow. Everyone knows that the military and rogue elements of the military or ex-military yeah. sometimes become bikies. I remember being told by the people who were about to charge him, if this goes wrong, just jump out that window. Tattoo ink of itself won't kill you, although sometimes the side effects, mm. such as lead poisoning, might get you. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. Last week, we talked about bikies with my deadline column colleagues. And this week, my deadline column colleagues, Mark Butler and Anthony Dowsley, have come back to talk some more about bikies. Hello. Hello to you. It's a dangerous caper being a bikie. Now, you will recall, Anthony, the interesting case of uh, Nick Martin. Now, he was a... Perth-based bikie. I think he might have um, changed sides or, you know, used to be a office holder in the Rebels and left the, left the job or something. And um, somebody somewhere took exception to him. I think there is footage of him being involved in a confrontation with a uh, large tattooed man from another bikie group. And after that, he was shot extremely dead while attending a... Speedway race in suburban Perth and I think you'll recall that he was hit by a bullet from a high-powered rifle, yep. allegedly, shot from a hide from by a sniper, you know, a good shot, sharpshooter, about maybe 300 metres away. That's right. A good shot, not an unbelievable shot. It's not the sort of people that can hit somebody at 900 metres. No, it wasn't a kilometre away. But it's a... It's a good shot, and indeed, predictions that this could be a member or former member of the armed forces appear to be true because the police charged one fellow who has been a member of the armed forces, who it shall be said in court, I think, his name has been um, suppressed for whatever reason, but I think it'll come out in court that the police, when they went around to check on this fellow and look into him because he must have been a, a person of interest they did a search and they found allegedly the alleged weapon the murder weapon or the, the homicide weapon yes the weapon used in the shooting allegedly they found it either at his property or near his property in such a way as they could link it to him which for all you people out there that are planning big crimes don't go keeping the gun right under your pillow. Well, Nick Martin was a figure in Perth that was pretty well known in that underworld. Yeah. Uh, he'd run a club, uh, the Rebels. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty affable, but could be... Turn nasty. He could turn nasty. He could be firm. Yes, he could be firm. And a, he, a tough negotiator. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he'd, he'd come up against his own club in, uh, the, in the weeks before his death. Oh, and he was no longer in the club. Oh, right. No, persona. Persona. no, I see. So no longer, no rebel. There's no, no the, non-rebel. The rebel have been taken like out of him. I see. Uh, and he's assassinated in a sniper-style shooting, as you said, yeah. in December 2020. Right. At the Quinana Motorplex oh, while watching it. the drag racing with his family. It was a, fa- a nice family night out, uh, which was spoiled. It was really. a family day out at the drags. And I think the bullet might have... Gone through him and, go, and actually in, injured uh, somebody else. Yes, well. it did. It yeah. did. 
um, that That's person was okay. We, it's not good though. We don't. No. Like that. So it's a high risk strategy because you could kill a member of the public that you, you're not intending to kill. No, yeah. But that's only. the way a lot of these 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 shootings go down because um, well, crooks are very good at counter surveillance and securing their properties and, and yeah. all these sorts of things. So they might know you're coming if they try, if you try to get them at their house. Yeah. Although Bowden uh, was well, he, got at his house, he was. But he uh, there was a lot of people at his funeral. Nick Martin's at Nick Martin's funerals. Yeah, at funeral. Yes. And so he's a popular man. He was popular. You don't think some of them had crocodile tears? Uh, well, I mean, I think that he appears to have been someone that was generally liked, yeah, but had caused issues for himself, or someone had caused issues for him uh, towards the uh, the latter stages of his life. And I don't want to be a broken record about this, but would you imagine that that would be to do with money, and the money would be to do with drugs? Uh, I'm not sure. There was, oh. I think, there was some complex reasons. Oh, um, okay, but. What we do know is that there's all sorts of suppression orders over the person that has there is, yeah. uh, allegedly fired the, yes. the bullet. What, why do you think that is? Is that because of his military connections? Well, potentially, but we can say he was a 35-year-old man. Yeah. It took uh, a task force to find him. There was a million-dollar reward yeah. as well. I don't know if that's going to be collected. I wonder. Well, it's going to be intriguing to see everyone knows that the military and rogue elements of the military or ex-military yeah. sometimes become bikies because that's how it all started. They they did. The Hells Angels in, in California. Would that be right? That's exactly right. So, so if you want to call them rogue Barger or, or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't the first, but he no. was among uh, yeah. the, one two, of the two early, ones. early ones. Yeah. No, sort of ex, yeah, yeah. It was a flying squad, uh, the Hells Angels. In, yeah. uh, in the Air Force. Yeah. In the American Air Force. Yeah. And that's how it all sort of started up. And then they had all sorts of rules, and the rules didn't fit certain people, yep. especially if you uh, were not white. So yeah. other clubs had to start up that would accept people that were not white, and yep. things like that happened. Yep. So yep. you've got all these different clubs starting up, and yep. um, that's how it all, all began. And obviously, very small percentage of people who are in the gangs, in, in the OMCGs, as they call them, outlaw motorcycle gangs, yep. only a small percentage would be ex-military. But they seem to be always welcome. Now, you would recall a story, I think you did, about the man they call the the white ghost or something. Uh, we're talking about Josh Forkhead. Yeah. The white devil. The white devil. Josh Forkhead served in a large and uh, very strong and fearsome looking individual. Mm. Uh, lots and lots of ink. Yes. Proof that tattoo ink of itself won't kill you, although sometimes the side effects, mm. such as lead poisoning, might get you. Josh Forkhead, last known at Mildura, was he not? Yep. I remember the great talk about him, whether he had been, you know, a very dangerous sniper-type soldier in Afghanistan, I don't know, but he certainly had that reputation. He had the reputation, And yeah. played on that reputation. Yeah. And it's a good reputation to have if you're in the business of terrifying other violent people. Probably. Maybe. Well, I think after his tour of duty, yeah. he ended up in Sydney and joined the Comancheros. He spent his entire pay on tattoos, I would suggest. They were nice tattoos. I saw them. Yeah, right. They were nice tattoos. Yeah, they looked good on him. As opposed to... Well, they weren't your prison tat type of thing. They were pretty stylized. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was... I hadn't taken you as an aficionado. Well... But you're in touch with that. Interestingly, Mm. I was in Mildura when he got arrested. 
was, so, somehow was, I ended up there that at that time. Yeah. Somehow yeah. I ended up there, and uh, he was he was uh, him and his associate were taken down by the special operations group uh, oh, of right. police, the ones that know how to take down a person if they need being arrested. Right. And uh, it all happened very quickly on a blazing hot day in Mildura, as you can imagine. Yep. And um, I didn't see either of the arrests, but I was there pretty shortly afterwards. And uh, I ended up in the uh, police interview room. Oh, not the interview room, the the place where they say you're charged. Yeah. Uh, it's called an out-of-sessions court hearing. Mm. And uh, I remember being told by the people who were about to charge him, if this goes wrong, just jump out that window. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, when he walked in, he was pretty big. I see. Yeah, but he was very well behaved. Was he? Yeah, he was. Um, but had been in the army, used to saying yes sir, no sir. Well, he was disciplined. You yeah, could tell it. He understands. Yeah. And he told them that he was a, I think he said he was a concreter uh, or did floors or something like that. And uh, yeah, and he was charged with um, all sorts of trafficking crimes way back in sort of 2012, I think it was around about then. Yeah. And uh, he went to he went to prison and he was very disciplined in prison. Was he? Yeah, because there were some riots at the remand centre, if you remember, Yeah, from about um, uh, eight years ago. And what part did he play? Exactly nothing. Well, that was the interesting thing. While the, while the, while the prisoners and the inmates were going uh, mayhem, yeah. going la-la, mm. uh, I think someone said, well, come on, join us. And, uh, and he could have. He could, he could get out of his cell because they were ripping apart. He said, I'll just stay here, thanks. Did he? And, of course, he's... A fellow that can do what he likes because no one, no one messes. About it. No one bested with him, no. Uh, good. Um, but uh, I think he's, uh, I might be wrong here, but I think he has done his time. Right. Yes, Mark, I believe so. Yeah. I remember his uh, young woman or youngish woman getting on to me about him at some point. We must have done something in the paper that upset her. I might have met her. You might have met her. Well, she got very, very stroppy. And got in touch with the paper and talked to me at length about some grievance she had about the coverage of, of Josh, who she thought was a splendid young fellow. And um, Well, I haven't heard had, about him since, so he may have changed his ways. He might have, yeah. And we'll be back after this. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. No discussion of bikies over the last year or the last 10 years would be complete without mentioning the name of Toby Mitchell. Every time Toby Mitchell's name is mentioned in print or on the airwaves, it seems to get a reaction, Mark. Why would that be? Toby Mitchell's probably the most well-known OMCG figure in Victoria. Uh, he's, a, he's a fairly um, flamboyant sort of character. Um, he's a, a very well-known face. Quite, He came to prominence 10 years ago, uh, to public prominence when he was shot up at Brunswick in an ambush outside the Bandidos, which he was then the sergeant at arms for outside of their clubhouse in Western Street. Um, two fellows ambushed him 
and he was very lucky to escape with his life. Clearly, he's a reasonably tough unit to get through that. Now, no one's ever been arrested or charged for that. No. There's all sorts of talk denied by one of the people who was allegedly involved. And it remains unsolved. Mitchell, has it certainly did um, affect his health greatly, but he's, he's soldiered on, subsequently signed on with the Mongols, is now the state president, I think. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. And... Yes, he's um, he's had a few minor scra- well, minor, he's had a few scrapes with the with law enforcement since then, but um, he's still out and about as we speak. There's a man that's got more shrapnel in him than the average World War One veteran. He's he survives two or three different gun battles. Yeah, hasn't he? yeah he was shot um, some time after that 2011 incident at Brunswick when he was out at. Uh, Melton, I think, at yeah, the Diablos right. Clubhouse. At 2013, so it was only two years later. Yeah, And copped another, it was winged there. Yes, I don't think he was the target of that. I think there was some kind of friction with another outfit, yeah. which led to some uh, gunplay. And, um, yeah, he beat it again. So he's, he's a survivor. Now, he's a fellow, I think he came from Bacchus Marsh, or thereabouts, I and I think his dear old dad... Trained the odd dish liquor. That would be Greyhound. I believe um, so. And uh, I think I once spoke to somebody who taught him at Bacchus Marsh High School, or would be, or whatever. And they said he was a polite, nice, likable kid and didn't stand out as the one most likely to end up in jail or the one most likely to be shot dead or any of that sort of stuff. They sort of liked him. But, you know, they, they were a bit of a knockabout family. The. Uh, the Dish Licker Mitchells, but those who knew him as a boy were a little bit surprised at the, the turn his life had taken, except that he they always picked him as a, an articulate, friendly, sort of fairly polite sort of bloke who knew how to talk to people, which he probably is. He probably knows his way I around. I think he's got good social skills from good, what I can gather. Yeah. yeah. I think... Yeah. You know, if you look at some of the, you know, the top bikies and yeah. other people in underworld areas, you'll find that a lot of them are pretty charismatic. Yeah. So they're a bit of a leader, natural leader. Does he also like cats, mate? Yes. Is he a cat lover? Well, I think he's an animal lover. He's an animal lover? I think he's an animal lover in general. Oh, right. Um, does he, he, where does he live mostly? Well, are we going pet detective here or what are we pet doing? Pet detective? We're pet detectives. We are Ace Ventura style. Ace Ventura. Where, where does he live? He lives in some high-rise accommodation. Yeah, high-rise accommodation in, he in, in town. Metres away from where we are right now. Yeah. And he's very high up in the sky. Yeah. And he lives there with one or two, what, Siamese or Burmese cats? Yeah, I don't know about his uh, feline situation, but he's um, he has cats. But he's... Um, have there been He's photographs living a good taken, life up there? Right? There've been the photos of taken of his cats. Yes, right. Yeah, I think he posts them online. He's got a bulldog called Bentley. Bulldog called Bentley. Yeah, uh, he might have the odd Rottweiler. Has he? At times, did keep him busy taking them up and down in the lift for the, you know, in the penthouse. I'm not sure if he how that all works. No, um, but um, when Bentley wants to, you know. Who's going to do, argue do, with him if he wants to have a pet in his house, though, really? No. In his, his sky-rise apartment. I wouldn't argue. 
no discussion of bikies in the last 12 months would be complete without addressing the small mystery of what happened to a fellow called Kerry Giacumis who came across from Adelaide some time ago and uh, hit a bit of trouble. Um, what can you add to that subject, Mark? Uh, Kerry Giacumis was a Hells Angels associate from the North Crew chapter in Adelaide, who came over in mid last year with some, at least one high ranking member of a club over there, Hells Angels, and spent a few days here. I think he might have told his mum that he was going to do some concreting work here, floated around for a few days, and ended up being invited to go to the Nomads Chapter Clubhouse in Lipton Drive in Thomastown yep. and was never seen again. Um, so there's a lot of interest uh, from the police in what's happened to him and what's happened inside that building that day or night. There's a task force with multiple arms uh, being put together to um, deal with the matter. Multiple arms, not Kerry's, I hope. No. No, Kerry... Um, Kerry was aged about 30, I think. There's clearly been some kind of, I don't think from what the police have said that it was a planned altercation, but he was never seen again. That building's got a very interesting history, the Lipton Drive, which you'd know more about, Anthony, I'd imagine. Well, it's uh, one of the more recent things that have occurred there was a German tourist in Melbourne and he went to a uh, Hells Angels sort of owned or operated um, bar in the city. It's not owned by them anymore, but it used to be. And he was having a drink there. And this guy apparently, or didn't apparently, he did start sort of bragging that he was part of the Hells Angels in um, in Germany. Mm. So this got, there were some Hells Angels, Melbourne Hells Angels in there from the Nomads chapter. So they checked there and then uh, whether this was true. And I think they got on the horn to Germany. They did. And they uh, said, oh, okay, don't know him? Right. So they kept up the game with him for a while and they invited him back to this very same clubhouse in Lipton Drive uh, in uh, Thomastown, uh, which is the Nomads chapter. When he got there, he was tortured. Oh, dear, oh, dear. He survived. Um, but that's one of the things uh, that's happened there. So he won't be doing ads for the Tourist Commission? So no, he come to sunny Australia. No, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was shocking. I, I think one of his um, torturers uh, got on the phone and called another Hells Angel who wasn't there and started talking about it, and that's how they got caught. Oh, I see. Mm. Not smart, really. That's one of the many things that's happened there. Well, was that where Tognolini had his... Yeah, Terence Tognolini was there. Terence, yes. Now, yeah. Terence wasn't a very nice fellow. He wasn't a nice fellow, but uh, some... On any level. Yes, that's right. And some people would say he got his... Right whack. He got his right whack uh, when uh, they found out that uh, he'd been doing some things that were against club rules. Well, we we know, don't we, that he's, apart from all the other bad things he did, and he did plenty of them, I think he was very inclined to burn down your house or your shop by filling um, garbage bins with fuel, petrol or whatever, and then tipping them over and lighting them. I saw footage of him. Doing such a thing riding his motorcycle into a chemist yes, and just doing a burnout in front of its owners inside the shop. Over in the, you know, in a, where, Pasco Vale or something? Somewhere near there, yeah. yeah. Not good. And uh, 
apart from that, of course, he's they say that he was behind the killing of uh, Vicky Solomon's Vicky Jacobs. Vicky Jacobs. Vicky yeah, Jacobs, Jacobs was yep. her, her made up name, but in Bendigo, in bed, uh, shot dead yep. next to her sleeping child. Yep. And that was a warning, essentially a warning to anybody who wanted to cross the angels, but also a direct warning to her ex-husband, Gerald Preston, who had done a double murder in Adelaide at the behest of Tognolini. That's what they said. That's what they say. So there's a shocking murder, which most of our listeners know about, the Vicky Vicky Jacobs thing, but it's widely held that Tognolini organised that hit and was involved in it. And later, of course, he he, well, the um, Angels. he fell out with the angels because yeah. he he um, committed sexual offences against so he um, underage girls. I think he was tortured inside that that same clubhouse, Nomad Chapter in the, Lipton Drive, and scrubbed the something um, about him being off. taken out of there in a wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow, and they rang his brother and said, "Come and collect your trash." Something like that. Yeah. So the other incident. Uh, that springs to mind from there was the uh, unfortunate fellow who was dragged out of a bar out in Ivanhoe, I think. Um, Maybe at a shopping centre or something and um, beaten and um, dangled over a... um, Overpass. Over a flyover or something like that, head first. um, Then dragged into a car and driven over there and um, given the rounds of the kitchen had his... um, I think he had one of his toes removed with a set of bolt cutters or some similar non-surgical tool and, uh, yeah, dumped nearby, Tognolini style. Tognolini style. And um, perhaps that affected his memory because he wasn't able to identify the perpetrators. Yes, that can happen. It can happen. And we'll be back after this to finish our story. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt, and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free, and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth, and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. We might leave it there. Thanks, gents. But um, there's more to this conversation and we'll come back to it another week. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening. Life and Crimes is a Sunday Herald Sun production for True Crime Australia. Our producer is John Burton. If you like the show, leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to know more about these stories, links are in the description of this episode.